Why don't you open up your Bibles to uh, Psalms 23? If you don't have a Bible, you can grab the Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can turn to page 458. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is my favorite part of this passage. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, uh, David's greatest desire is actually that last sentence. If you, if you know anything about King David, David's desire, greatest desire, was to build a house for God so that he can worship God in that house. Anyway, that wasn't part of the sermon. The title of today's sermon is The Lord is My Shepherd. This psalm is attributed to David. In this psalm, David paints two illustrations. Did you notice it? The two illustrations that David paints in this passage. In the first four verses, David paints God as a shepherd who provides and protects for his flock. And, and, and the interesting idea is like he's not just talking about a flock. He's actually talking about a sheep, if you, if you notice the way he's talking. And then in verses five through six, David paints another picture, another illustration of God being a host who invites guests. And, and I imagine when David is writing this, when he's putting this on paper or however he's doing it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what do you think is coming to his mind? I, I think what's coming to his mind is his past, right? I think, I think this is a fitting psalm for David because David at one time was a shepherd. So, so he knows the role, he knows the position, he knows exactly what a shepherd does, he knows the needs and wants of the sheep, he knows exactly how the sheep behave, he knows their pattern, he knows everything about the job and knows everything about the work. And also, what do we know about David? David also was a king. And in kings, in those days, kings, they hosted, right? Any world leader gathers together, he invites guests. He, he brings people around a table for a meal to discuss business or to get to know them or to network with them. And, and David paints these two pictures shepherd and his sheep, a host and his guest. And the interesting part is David is not talking about himself. 
What do you think the focal point of David's psalm here? He isn't talking about how he's the shepherd. He isn't talking about how he's the host. What David is showing us in this passage is that God is the shepherd. God is the host. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what David is showing you and me, what David is declaring, what David is acknowledging is God's personal relationship with his covenant people. In other Psalms, you'll hear David praise God, he'll call the congregation or the people of Israel to praise God, thank God, who ask God to vindicate him, who ask God to save him from something. No, in this Psalm, David is declaring and acknowledging that God is a sheep, a shepherd, and a host. And he's showing you and me that God has a personal relationship with his covenant people. You ever wonder why this psalm is so popular? I mean, I don't think I've gone to a funeral where Psalms 23 is not recited or in a bookmark that's laminated and they put it in and there's usually like a sheep on the top with a shepherd and the, the hook or whatnot. Like you, you often see it. I mean, it's probably in my mind, I don't know about you, but it's probably the most popular psalm in the entire book, right? I mean, even non-believers love Psalm 23. And I thought to myself, why, why is it so popular in our culture? Why is Psalms 23 a popular passage to recite, to read in our lifetime? Why do you think it's so popular? Maybe it's your favorite psalm. Why is it your favorite psalm? I think of two reasons why this, this passage is really popular for us in our culture. I think the first is we easily can identify with the sheep, right? Like Americans, we love, we love a good story about the underdog who wins. And, and in this passage, we look at it and we say, that's, that's me. The sheep that he's talking about, it's me, right? Like, like, I'm the sheep. I'm the one that's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm the one that's receiving goodness and mercy, right? Like, I can identify with the sheep. So we say, we love that passage because it brings us comfort. It brings us, it brings us hope. And, and it often brings us peace when, when life is going crazy and, and when things are overwhelming us. I think the second reason why this passage resonates with so many people is because, because for the Christians, it, it confesses and identifies that, that we are in desperate need of God and that life is hard, trials are difficult, the finances are tough, the marriages are, are on the rocks, our culture is going crazy. There is no hope. We see less Christians in our world and, and the Christians that we do see on TV are not the greatest example of who Jesus is. And, and we look to this passage and said, man, this is a good passage to read because it brings us comfort, it brings us confidence, it reveals to us a deep confidence. And that's what David is showing us. He's showing us a deep confidence and trust where there isn't confidence and trust in our world, in our leaders, in our government, in organizations. And David says, 
We have a shepherd. We have a host who's not distant, who's not far away, in fact, who's personal, who's intimate, who's near, who's with us. But beyond just the personal relationship that we have with Jesus, with the Lord. I think there's another point that David's trying to make. And I think this is a hard point for us to, to come to terms with. I think to sum up what David is saying in this passage is, David is telling us God is in control in all and every aspects of our life. Therefore, we can trust him. That, that's the main point of Psalms 23. The main point is God is in control. He's not just in control of the little things, the easy things. He's in control of the hard things. God is in control in our world. He's in control of our nation. He's in control of our lives. He's in control of every single detail that you and I interact with. God is in control. In other words, nothing falls out of the hands of God and nothing falls in your hands. God is in control. God is in control of the universe. God is in control. And I think David is showing us that. And if you don't believe it, I'll read it again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's not, he suggests that I should be in green pastures or he encourages me with a nice little word or he gently tells me I should lie down in green pastures. What does David say? The king of Israel, the shepherd who, would, who, who knew his flock. What does, what does David say? He makes me lie down in green pastures. What else does he say? He, he leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. God is in control in every aspect of your life. And that is good news. That is hard for Americans because our culture and our history says we have power, we're strong, and we have free will, which we do. But, but, but our culture says like we are independent, we're sovereign, we have autonomy. I do what I want, I say what I want. I, I, I tell people whatever I want. I'm Americans, we're strong. We're the greatest nation in the world. So our, everything tells us that everything that we do is based on our own free will. And, and David's saying, you think you're in control of your life? You think that you're in charge of your life? You think you are sovereign over everything? I'm here to tell you, you're not. And the good thing about that is, like people are probably saying, oh, that is so hard to hear. Why? Why is that so hard to hear that God is in control? You really want to be in control? 
You really have the ability in every aspect of your life to think perfectly, to act perfectly, to feel perfectly, to make perfect decisions, not only for yourself, but everyone else. David says, no, you're not in control. God is in control. What is God in control over? The universe. The people. Everything. I think we see in the first couple of verses how God is in control. God is in control during good and ordinary times of our lives. Right? We haven't even got to the shadow of death part yet, but, but what do we see in the first couple of verses? Right? We see Right, that God is the one that leads us, guides us, protects us from all harm, but he takes us to what? Green pastures, to the things that we need. A sheep needs to be in green pastures, why? To eat. Sheep need to drink, so he takes them to what? Still waters, calm waters, restful waters. Or as Midwesterners say, water, it's water. (laughs) And coffee, not coffee. It's roof, not roof. It's called a vacuum, not a sweeper. You want me to keep going? Because I'm worked up. (laughs) Sometimes I say things and then how do you preach again? It's like, you got to get someone far more redeemable to come and talk about Jesus. All right. The point is that God is in control in good and ordinary times of our lives. And how does he do that? by being a provider. That's the first three verses, if not the entire passage. Who's the one that makes me lie down in green pastures? Who's the one that takes me to the still waters? Who's the one that restores my soul? Who's the one that leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake? If it's not God, God is the one who's providing for us. And David is showing you and me that God is in control in the good and ordinary times of our life by providing for us, by providing for you, by providing for me. Therefore, why do we allow ourselves to fall into the temptation of feeling worried about our own lives? Why are we all concerned about about our lives? Why do we get anxious and fearful about how much we have, how much more we need? Why do we get anxious and fearful about the things that are happening in this world? If David is able to say, as a shepherd and as a king, hey, listen, I'm not the one that's in control here. Why do we get so worried and anxious? Why do we have a generation that's coming up with mental health issues? What's going on in our country? Why do we have so many victims who are magically heroes in our day? Why? Because they do not want God to be in control. Our heart's desire is that you and I will be in control. We want power. We want authority over ourselves or our family, our children, our job, our bosses, our money, our house, the car, the, the, whatever it is. We want control. We want power. Why? Because sin has told us Sin has, has informed our minds and hearts. Hey, you deserve to be in control. You deserve to be in power. You deserve everything that you want. That's the beginning of the fall, right? 
David saying, hey, I'm king. I have power and control over thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people. And guess what? I'm not really in control. But yet we're worried. We're so concerned. We're so concerned about our lives. We're wanting more. We're not satisfied with what God has given us. And look what Matthew says in chapter 6. We talked about this before. But Matthew in chapter 6, this is Jesus' words. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what we put on you. Is not your life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your, your heavenly Father feeds you. Are you not more valuable than them? And which of you, by being anxious, can be at a single hour of his span of life? You know, um, I'll pause right there. Did you know um, Elizabeth Elliot, who is the wife of Jim Elliot, famous missionary to mainland China, you know what she says one time? She said, fear arises when we begin to believe that everything depends on us. You want to know why many people are anxious and fearful? Not everybody. I'm not talking to everybody, right? But you know why many people are fearful and anxious in their life? is because they believe that everything depends on them. If they can just get more control over their lives, if they could just know the outcome of the future, if they can just understand what's going to happen, then I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be worried. And David is saying, you're not in control. So why do we burden ourselves with the task of worrying about what's going to happen with us? And now, this doesn't mean that we live a life like carefree. It means that we live a life that, that is congruent with the word of God. It means that we do what God has called us to do and we trust him for the things that we do not know. We trust him in the places that are confusing, doubtful, and fearful. We trust him knowing, right, that that he is going to allow this to happen or he's going to orchestrate this thing out in the way that is beneficial to his name and beneficial for his glory. And once you can settle in this idea that God is in control, it's his outcome, it's his name, it's not yours, life gets better and easier for you. Now, if you think Tim Morero has gotten this down, I'm in the pews with you. In fact, I'm in the last row ducking my head under the pew because I am not the person to ask about how are you dealing with God's control in your life? And I'll tell you, I'm not doing well with it. I enjoy being in control. Who here doesn't like being in control? Raise your hand. Don't. Because <laughs> that doesn't make the point. We all of us want to be in control. I'm telling you, it is a lot easier to preach this passage than it is to live it out, right? When someone's going through a hard time or when people are struggling in life, it's easy to pull out this passage and say, hey, don't worry about it, God is in control. It's a lot harder to live it out. I'm telling you, right? Isn't it hard? How can you, we, we as Christians believe that God is in control, right? Like we know it, but like, we don't feel it. We say it, but it's here. It hasn't connected to here. 
I, I think the reason why, my personal opinion, the reason why that we desire to be in control because I think we've gotten to the point in our lives that we want to avoid any type of hardship, any type of pain, any type of hurt. We don't want people to hurt me. I don't want to feel hurt. I don't want to feel pain. I want comfort. I want my life to feel good, to be good. I don't want any obstacles. I don't want any problems. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to control my kid's life to make sure that their life is as perfect as it is because if it's perfect, then everything's fine. I'm going to try to control my workplace in every aspect because I'm the one that knows how to do it best. They are morons. I am smarter than them. I have a degree. That's what Satan said, right? I'm smarter. I'm better. I can do this. Being in control feels good. I'm telling you, being in control feels good. Because then you can control the outcome. You get what you want. But you know what the sad part is? When we try to be in control and when we look for control and we do not want to submit in knowing and believing that God is in control, you know what we inadvertently do? We usurp God's rightful place in our life. We tell God, hey, I don't want you to be in control. I'd rather do this my way. And in fact, you're going to do it the way I want you to do it. That's what we tell God. When we don't want to believe it or when we don't want to submit to it. I got this. This reminds me of my mother. Believe it or not, my mother is a backseat driver. How many of you know what a backseat driver is? And those of you raising your hands are all backseat drivers. You know what's to be in the car? I'm Latino for those of you who are new, so this is relax. Don't get triggered. Um, you know what's to be in a car with an Hispanic woman in the backseat? Do you know the trauma that I've been through in my life? There is, listen, you guys who are not Hispanic, I'm telling you, um, you, you don't, you've had it, you have it good. Um, there's no amount of counseling that can fix me ever. Um, my mom, what she used to do, she doesn't want to drive. So she, she drives when she has to, but she doesn't want to drive. So who drives? My dad. My mom wants to be in the back seat. Okay, so she stays in the back seat, I'm in the front. You know what she does every time we're driving? We're driving 35 miles an hour. The car in front of us is like five car lengths ahead, getting off the exit. We're in the middle lane, we're not even near the car, and she's screaming bloody murder. You're gonna hit the car! What car? <laughs> Slow down! Like she's screaming, and my dad is freaking out, I'm freaking out, like we're all screaming, I'm turning around. You need to be quiet, you need to, you're gonna, you're gonna stress this man out, he's gonna kill us, he's going to kill us. And it's not because he hit somebody, it's because you gave him a heart attack. <laughs> You, I'm telling you, screaming bloody murder about the car that's not even there. Slow down, you're going too fast. We're at a red light. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Are you speeding? No, the car's not even on. Relax. I'm telling you, the, she... Hi, Mom. Uh, she <laughs> is a wonderful woman, as they say in the South, right? Bless, bless her heart. And my dad, my dad, and let me tell you, my dad is just like, he gets to the point when 
you know, Hispanics, we, we don't really talk, we just yell. <laughs> and when we're, you know, when we're, when we're getting into arguments, we just yell louder. So um, we're just yelling in the car, screaming. Why? Why is she screaming? Because she's afraid that my dad's going to hit the car that's not there. Because she doesn't want to get hurt. That's what we do to God. We want to tell God, you are going to lead me in the green pastures that I want to be led in. You are going to take me to the still waters that I decide. You restore my soul when I'm good and ready. That's, what we, that's a backstreet driver, right? We want to tell God how he wants to lead us, how he wants to guide us, because we want to be blessed in a certain way. We want to experience God in a certain way. And, 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 and David is showing us in this passage, that's not how it works. We are not in control. And the sooner you and I realize that, that he's in control, then you and I feel a peace and a comfort knowing that, listen, he's capable of being in charge. He's capable of doing the job really well. Remember, we screwed this thing up. He didn't. So, so I don't know about you this morning. I don't know the places in your life, whether it's your finances, your marriage, your children, your attitude, your job, whatever it is that you're looking to find control because you're trying to hide from fear, you're trying to, to hide from anxiety, or you're, you're, you're trying to manipulate the outcome that you want. Hear me, hear me clear. You're gonna learn the lesson really bad because I know in my life, I've tried to control things in my life and it's gotten worse. It doesn't get better because you and I are not equipped. A God who's loving and gracious and kind, you don't want him to be in control? That's a problem for you? That a gracious, loving, kind God who cares for the world, who cares for his people, who made us in his image is not capable of dealing with your junk and your problems and you want to tell him, hey, listen, I want you to lead me and guide me in the way I want it. Be very careful. Be very careful. Because listen, the world has already said that. And you know what the world has said? We want it our way. And you know what God has said? Romans chapter one and two, what did he say? All right, you can have it, go. Here, he's given them to their own sinful ways. David is saying, he's the one that leads us. So the question this morning is, okay, Tim, God is in control. We get it. He's in control in the good and ordinary times of our lives. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that guides us. He's taking us to the still waters. Got it. Okay. I got to work on the feeling, but, but how, do, how, do I, how do I do that? Unfortunately, there isn't a five-step process of these are all the things that you need to do, and then your heart's going to change. But I think David gives us a hint. You want to trust God more? Meaning, meaning, you want the confidence that David proclaims in this passage? Where he's declaring that God is in control? You, you want to, to learn that, that lesson well? I think it's found at the very beginning of the sentence. What does it say? It said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, in the Old Testament, 
Um, men and women were given names to identify their character. If you think of Hannah, Hannah means grace and favor. And what does God do? He shows us grace and favor in our life by giving a child. David means beloved. And we know that to be true because David loved the Lord and he was beloved by the people, probably the most famous king. What is Abraham's meaning? Abraham's meaning is, is a father of many nations. And we know that the Jewish Nation comes and is birthed out of Abraham. Do you want to know the name that David uses at the very beginning of Psalms 23? He doesn't use Jehovah. He uses Yahweh. Do you want to know the first time that Yahweh is presented as a name of God in the Bible? It's found in Exodus chapter 3, and this is what God says to Moses. Moses asks God, hey, who... Who are you? What do I tell the people? And this is what God says. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am who has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. That is the first time that Yahweh is used, and it's used to show that God is personal, intimate, in close relationship with his covenant people. And the first time he uses his Yahweh, we see his character play out when he leads them out of Egypt where he is with them, guiding them, protecting them. So you want to know how you can believe and put your trust in a God who's faithful and a God is in control. Know who God is. Know his name. His name is Yahweh, the I am. Know who God is by his name, how he's presented himself throughout history as the one who has provided, the one who sent his son Jesus, the one who is holy and righteous and just. You want to give up control in your life? Know who God is. Submit to God. Praise God and know his name. So many of us don't want to know God. We want to know of God. We want to see his hand. And oftentimes it leads us to sin. You want to see change in your life? You want God to radically change you? Know who he is in his word. Submit to him. Follow him. Pursue him. Forget about the world. The world is reprobate. The world is going to hell. Don't try to be like them. Know his name. And don't be anxious. Don't be worried. We know how it ends. We know how it ends for us. So trust. It takes one day, says, God, you're in control. I'm anxious and fearful right now. But I know you're on the throne. I know you. And your name is Yahweh. The God who is I am. God who is near and dear to his people. So, question this morning. Where are the areas in your life that you're 
trying to control and it's not working out and you need God to intervene? Are you a person who is motivated by, by control? Like you, you're motivated to do things and, and to be with people for control. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you in the name of Jesus. We know you are in control. We know that you have a name and that you are good and right for us. And Lord, would you show us, would you change our hearts and minds? Would you, would you, Lord, in your sovereign power and grace and mercy, would you, would you help us to relinquish the control and place it in your hands? Whether it's with the family, the kids, the mental health, the finances, the job, the terrible boss, the loneliness, the singleness, whatever it is, Lord, you can do this, we cannot. So we ask you knowing that when we ask, you hear. So we pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say, This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.